0: It's loose and it is savior for Dark. folks welcome back to the norwood noise monday march 27th and we're here with you we're back after one of the wilder weekends in probably ncaa tournament history not any of the crazy you know buzzer beater finishes or, or big big time upsets um but to some extent there definitely were and we've got a lot to talk about here sweet 16 and Elite 8 recap um yeah let's get after it graham i'm gonna turn over here immediately uh, as i always do what was your what was your favorite moment favorite game of the weekend favorite thing you saw was it a post game press conference was it um, a coach's reaction was it a you know a funny moment during the
1: game what was your favorite thing that you saw this past weekend um I I the first thing that comes to mind is the Kansas State FAU game um, I mean what a great finish and just I think that both teams kind of um Give an accurate representation of where the sport is right now. Um, definitely in a change of, kind of some new blood. You know, it's starting to take over with Jerome Tang. You know, forget being the a, blue blood. Yeah, focus on the new blood. Yeah, the first year head coach Jerome Tang, um, doing an unbelievable job this year. Uh, it just being the epitome of you know building character in that locker room after the game, going into the Florida Atlantic locker room was awesome to see. And the you other, were a fan
0: of that. I know that was a very controversial thing on Twitter, but you were a fan, yes.
1: Yeah, I, I it's it is a little strange, I think. I mean, I think that, you know, the standard's always been to say something nice in the presser. Um, but I mean, maybe that's just like who Jerome Tang is, you know, being a direct person and if he felt the need to, you know, go out there and you know, talk to those kids directly, I have to respect it. I mean, a lot of got a lot of times after a crushing defeat, um, you don't want any part of it. And yeah, I
0: mean, it's it's been very clear from from the beginning of the season that he wants to do things his way, and that's gonna be different. And he's done that both at K State and nationally. So yeah,
1: um, so seeing that game and then you know on the opposite end of the spectrum of Florida Atlantic, um, getting it done, going to the Final Four is unreal, and their second tournament appearance, um, in school history, to you know go 31 and 3 enter the tournament you get a rough draw against the memphis teams coming off being houston um and then just to go all the way is unbelievable i mean yeah they were a you know a controversial call away from being eliminated in that first game yeah so i think that they've done unbelievable things um a well-deserved final four run and i i always hate you know the the narrative that you get like good draws on the tournament because outside of round one you know that team had to get there and you know I've seen some of this buzz about you know San Diego State and FAU respectively like getting good draws um, not having to play like a one seed or anything like that but there's a reason that San Diego State is there there's a reason Florida Atlantic is there Um, two mid majors you know putting respect on their university and putting respect on all those players that um have done something pretty historic and i'm really excited to see how those teams face off i mean uh florida atlantic you know they just have so many guards that have just hit clutch shot after clutch shot namely john l davis and what he's been able to do and then they go up against the san diego state team that um has been just Dismantling powerful offense after powerful offense so that's going to be a really exciting game but the fau kansas state game has definitely been one of them one of my favorites to you know, watch um just because of just two great stories meeting in the elite eight totally and, and i think that's you know i think
0: there's a lot of conversation about tv ratings and you know you don't have the kind of the big brands in the game this year in the you know making deep runs in the tournament, and I get all that, and I I do understand that that plays a huge part um, as to what goes into the tournament every year, you know, things that the committee considers, and things that you know, obviously, TV executives and you know, kind of the large investors of the tournament are thinking about but overall, I agree with you. I think this tournament's been awesome. We've gotten so many great storylines. Going back through the list of all of the uh, previous national championships and, and Final Fours. I think it was a national championships specifically. Um, and the the term mid-major and, and the idea of mid-majors has changed a lot throughout the years with realignment and things like that. But considering programs that as of right now, as of today, 2023, are, are would not be considered a mid-major team, only four of them, there's only ever been four teams in the national title that have been at what would be now considered not mid-major teams. Um, And I think that's really cool and and a really cool testament um, to the idea that we're going to have one next Monday night, you know, a week from tonight. We're going to have a mid-major in there um, between San Diego State or FAU. San Diego State had – or the the Mountain West had never reached the Elite Eight. Uh, They had never – they had uh, only once reached the second weekend – you know, for for a team out of that conference, yes, a very young conference, but still, a very cool story there. And then FAU, um, kind of on the cusp for making a big jump. I mean, obviously they're headed to the American next year. Um, very excited to see what happens there. Um, and yeah, just a really really cool setup there. Dusty May's obviously done an unbelievable job um, building that program up, especially from what it was, um, and just such a cool such a cool idea there. And then you go to the other side. Obviously, Miami is, is a really unique story. I know, Graham, I'll kind of let you peacock here and take your moment of you know, excitement because I know this was kind of one of your preseason teams that you want to keep an eye on up and down through the ACC, um, but they still finished co-champions. They won the ACC. Um, they were co-champions of the ACC regular season. Um, Isaiah Wong, ACC Player of the Year. Man, um, he's, he's a wooden award finalist. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to... A lot to take from that season obviously you're kind of run by Jim Laranega as well who has kind of flown under the radar as like one of the better coaches of our generation and I think it's really interesting too to see and I know we've talked about this a lot but the turnover and the amount of coaches that are you know moving on from the sport or retiring or moving to the NBA or whatever over these past few years with NIL and the transfer portal and things like that getting more difficult on coaches it's cool to see an, an older guy like Laranega you know, as opposed to seeing it as a negative and wanting to get out of the sport, and, and not to say that that's exactly why Jay Wright got out, or that's exactly why you know Shashevsky and Roy Williams retired when they did. I'm not I'm not entirely blaming it on that, but it, I'm sure it was something that they considered. It's interesting to see kind of the flip side of that, and Larinaga completely embracing it, and ha- and having his school embrace it. And obviously, it's you know a controversial idea because you know you're talking about uh, a team basically made by you know Miami's. You know, partner, sponsor, life wallet, essentially. Um, yeah, you know, maybe paying out Isaiah Wong and Nigel Peck.
1: I, yeah. I think it's I, interesting. I can already see like the keyboard warriors of, you know, Isaiah Wong hitting the portal after an unbelievable elite A run last year, um, and they go out and get Kansas State guard Nigel Peck, for, and for he signs an unbelievable booster um, filled nil deal of eight hundred thousand dollars, and then right after. Isaiah Wong says, you know, I'll come back if I get yeah. that $800,000. Exactly. So this is a team um, with, you know, a backcourt of over a million dollars. And I can already see, you know, like the the people that are going to be so upset with this, you know, win, lose, or draw against UConn. But I, I have no problem with it. I mean, this is just – this is the state of the game. I agree. And, and it's interesting
0: to see someone from an older generation taking advantage of that. Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, this is just the way that these top schools are going to compete and, but like this doesn't change anything about like the sport at all, because if anyone wants to argue, you know, Oh, Miami's in the final four, they beat Texas because they, you know, have a $2 million backcourt you know, I raise you the other side of the bracket where you have a San Diego state. And an FAU team that's built on other aspects, right? Um, you know, with hitting the transfer portal, they have COVID year guys. Like they've done things in a totally different way, um, and I think that this the sport is just exceeded into an like an extremely high stratosphere. Um, and this Final Four, if there is a way to describe how much the sport has changed, I think I would just show them this, um, mm-hmm. with. UConn um, ha- building their entire supporting cast based off the transfer portal and, you know, Miami taking advantage of NIL and San Diego State having some fifth-year guys and Florida Atlantic, you know, moving some guys around. Like, this is just where the sport is headed. And I, I'm really excited to see this finish next, uh, this weekend um, to really, you know, put the icing on the cake of where the sport is headed.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think it's a really interesting – Uh, concept, too, because, like, you have people complaining last year about, you know, getting the Blue Blood Final Four, right, with North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, and Villanova, and being like, oh, well, you know, the the game's too predictable, like, the same team's win every year, blah, 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 like, I think that was a lot of the narrative. I do think it was drowned out a little bit just because of how awesome the North Carolina Duke Final Four game was, but still, that was definitely there. That was a complaint from a lot of people um, in the sport of college basketball and and fans and things like that. And I think that's really interesting when now that you know, I don't know that it's the same people, but another argument is being brought up of like, Oh, I mean the T V ratings are gonna be horrible this year, the big brands are, are in it, like I don't even care who wins, I'm not gonna watch. Like and I think that's a that's a horrible argument too, because if you're looking at each of these teams they all have very unique stories and like you said, are are kind of embracing the new ways that you can be good and 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 i think this tournament this really shows how accessible success is in this tournament like anyone can do it and i think that's what's awesome about it i think that's what we love about it well sure we haven't had the buzzer beaters that we usually have this year we haven't had the wild finishes i still think that this is a really good testament to what um what this tournament can be and, and what it means to a lot of people so um but, yeah, it's just been an awesome, awesome time. So going off that, let's get to some Sweet 16 games. We'll go, um, as always, um, kind of in order of the bracket here, not necessarily in chronological order. Let's start top left. Alabama-San Diego State, man. San Diego State, and I know we've talked about it a little bit, but their defense has been unbelievable these last few games. I'm going to pull this stat here. This is per cbsports.com Great graphic here. Um, in the last four game, or five games now um, for San Diego State, uh, they've held all. Of, no, no team has scored more than 64 points um, against them, uh, and all four and four of those teams are, are under 60. They're in the 50s there, other than Alabama. Alabama did put 64 up on the board, um, and all of them are averaging 76 or higher points per game. So I'll read this. Uh, down Utah State was averaging. Uh, 78.2 points per game they scored 57 Uh, charleston 80.1 points per game they scored 57 as well Furman scoring 80.9 points per game Uh, they scored 52 in their game against san diego state alabama 81.8 they only scored 64 and then creighton 76.4 was their points per game average only putting up 56 against san diego state and I think it's really cool. Obviously, you know, there's always the old adage of defense wins championships. But this is a true testament because, you know, Graham, as you mentioned earlier, and I'll kind of let you take it from here. But um, you mentioned earlier, like, not only are they beating teams using defense, but they're beating teams that are known for their offense. Like, all four of those past teams in the tournament and including Utah State in the Mount West Tile game. One of their biggest things that they've been riding all year is how good their offense is, especially Creighton and Alabama and, and even really Furman as well. I think that was kind of the main reason they beat Virginia, which is another defensive-focused team. Um, so definitely, really interesting to kind of see that storyline play out. Uh, it's been awesome to watch Brian Dutcher really take over the reins. I, Jim Fisher, I think, deserved a little bit more. That guy worked his butt off for years with that program, did a really good job kind of rebuilding it. Uh, but cool to see Brian Dutcher take the reins. The reins, a guy that's been an assistant for Jim Fisher since the the, the Fab Five days back at Michigan. Um, so a really fun story there. Um, but yeah, I'll kind of let you take it from there with the you know talking about their how blistering their defense has been.
1: Yeah, and I, that's been my pick of the tournament. I had San Diego State going to the Elite Eight over Alabama, so I'm going to ride that one. Um, and, you know, like you said, I mean, the the, def- the defense has been extremely sweltering. Um, you know, first, you know, with Charleston, um, it's been teams, you know, quick movement, having like eight or nine guys that all contribute on offense, and then Charleston had many, you know, parts of the game where they were extremely stagnant. And Furman, and then you know the Alabama game. Um, Alabama's you know getting compared to the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors in the way that they've just been playing so quick at jacking up so many threes. Um, It's the fact that San Diego State was able to get that win, and then moving on um, to how they play against Creighton. Um, You know, while you know this that game you know goes down to the uh, wire. Um, and definitely, you know, raised a lot of eyebrows about um, some of the decisions made down the stretch. But I think what it, what it came down to is that you know Creighton was uncomfortable and had their backs against the wall. Um, in some acts of desperation, San Diego State was able, to, you know, weather the storm. Um, this has been an unbelievable run. The fact that San Diego State has just been able to, you know, play their brand of basketball, and I think that's the reason why they've, you know, been able to move on so much they haven't done anything crazy they've stuck to what got them um two of five seed in this tournament and they've done an unbelievable job uh yeah so far yeah
0: couldn't agree more it's been been just so fun to watch on the flip side of that Creighton did end the uh the, the Princeton Cinderella run as you know Graham kind of predicted um on last week's podcast and yeah I mean we can get into the debate about the the Creighton San Diego State game and how it ended, I think, first of all, I think my biggest takeaway, and I'm not necessarily blaming the referees because I do think, all in all, I think they made the right calls at the right times. Um, you know, but it just was – it was a really unfortunate way to end an awesome game with a foul call there and then the tip and the reviews. And, and like, before that, early, I think there were, like, 30 or 40 seconds left, and it was like we had a timeout – like a time review at the end of the timeout, which I never understand why they don't do that while we're at the break. Um, so then we, we're doing a clock review, and then we get an inbound, a Baylor-Shireman air ball, and then another timeout. Like it was just like, ugh. Like it was just a really slow and groggy end to what I think was one of our best games of the tournament. Um and a really fun matchup at that, too, with a really high-powered offense in Creighton and a and a, and a stout defense like San Diego State. So, um, But, yeah, that's kind of my biggest takeaways, Grandma. I mean, unless you have anything more, I think we can move on now to the uh, the east region down here in the bottom left. Florida Atlantic, man. I mean, wow, wow, wow. Although we'd be remiss without uh, mentioning, I, I would say, probably my game of the tournament. Gonzaga-UCLA was awesome. But, man, Thursday night was unbelievable. We had a, an OT game, Kansas State-Michigan State. Michigan State. Which was just everything you wanted it to be, and more. Marquise Noel, um, kind of taking all the headlines from the game. Twenty points, 19 assists, breaking the single-game record in the NCAA tournament. That was freaking awesome. Being from New York in Madison Square Garden, like probably what that kid dreamed of playing in his backyard or in his driveway or at the at the YMCA or his you know high school gym or wherever um, for for years growing up. Uh, had that opportunity to finally show um, what he was made of there, and, and that whole storyline was just unbelievable. FAU taking care of business with Tennessee, really kind of a, a no-contest game there. Uh, and then I think we got a, a great regional final to go to the Final Four. I mean, FAU kind of came out of nowhere. It kind of looked like Kansas State was in a pretty good spot there for a while, and then a big run from the Owls, and uh, and here we are saying Florida Atlantic's name in the Final Four. Um Again, not I think we kind of agree, not like a Cinderella team by the numbers, um, but definitely no one really could have, accept, you know, expected or predicted this. So, yeah, and um, yeah, I, your biggest takeaways from the South?
1: Um, well, again, you know, as you mentioned, the Kansas State Michigan State game was a lot of fun, um, but to just you know keep touching on what Florida Atlantic's been able to do. I mean, Dusty May has done an unbelievable job. Um, You know, while they've looked really good in all their games, if you break down each game individually, there's been a time where Florida Atlantic had their back against the wall. Um, You know, the Memphis game was a tough finish for them. They play, um, you know, Farley Dickinson, who's just off the backs of a Purdue game, and they come out hot. And then down the stretch, uh, they couldn't do anything, and it was all FAU and John L. Davis hitting big shots. Um, You know, you go down. Uh, when they play Tennessee, Tennessee's playing their brand of basketball, pretty slow, really good defense. Um, and then they go on a historic run, you know, to end the second half. Yeah, and then same with, you know, Kansas State. I think they finished the game on a 20-something to four run um, in Madison Square Garden. And Dusty May has just proven time and time again um, how great of a coach he has been, this run, and the way that he's been able to lead his guys. Um and he, it, I think that's yeah, one going to be one of the stories of the tournament, is how, every single game they were tested. They had their back against the wall, and they just matched it with, you know, just that one stop or an unbelievable run. You know where they're, you know, putting they have a margin of over ten points on these runs for large extenses of the game. Um, it's been really unbelievable to watch, uh, what they've been able to do
0: yeah i totally agree i think it's a it's a really fun story and uh a very deserving team to be there in that spot so on the other side of things i mean obviously we got to briefly talk about gonzaga ucla how awesome that game was we kind of mentioned that earlier we had kansas state michigan state early gonzaga ucla late thursday night i think was probably the best night or, or single day session we've had so far in the tournament both those games were unbelievable gonzaga hit some big shots down the stretch. Um, and I think you can kind of tell the legs were were taken out of UCLA a little bit. A lot of big runs in that game. Gonzaga going up big. UCLA going up big. Um, very apropos that, that game of those two teams. And I love that we've almost kind of created this rivalry a little bit because both these teams are so consistently good and because they both consistently get put in the West Regional that now this is the third straight, like, instant classic game we've had between them so I think there there isn't a love lost and I think it's cool too to see like how teams from separate conferences have kind of come to dislike each other and had you know have all these crazy you know awesome games even though you know they don't play each other every year and the players change every time they play you know most of the time so I think it's a pretty awesome. Uh, set up there and and I hope we get many more Gonzaga UCLA games um, especially in places like Sacramento like Los Angeles like Vegas you know where they can host these kind of top tier uh, caliber games so very excited to see that one obviously it was an all-timer Julian Strother just an unreal shot there with a foot on the logo um, and pretty awesome and then I mean yeah UConn just both nights looking unbeatable which i think at least you know coming from a xavier's perspective is a little bit of a slap in the face just because you know you swept that team this year and, and here they are just i don't know if it's part of it's clicking at the right time part of it is you know none of us saw it we were kind of sleeping on it um but yeah i mean they've won their games by 24 uh 15 uh what's that math 23 and 28 points i mean that's that's unbelievable to do in the tournament, and that's not to say. I mean, again, we can all talk about draws and blah blah blah. You mentioned this earlier, Grant, but like Iona, that's a tough game. Like Patino is a phenomenal coach, obviously. Now he's going to obviously St. John's and coaching the Big East here shortly. Um, St. Mary's, I think, is a tough draw, especially with kind of contrasting styles there. With how UConn's a very offensive-minded team, St. Mary's very defensive-minded. Arkansas is a tough draw. I, I, I mean, I think either Kansas or Arkansas, you know, would have had a a hard time excuse me, a hard time keeping up with UConn. Um but still I I think they're you know, both those both those teams were very formidable opponents and I think UConn clearly showed that they uh, just outmatched them. I think it was a tough matchup for Arkansas and then utterly shocking what they did to Gonzaga um on you know in just a in a no doubt fashion. Um so yeah, I mean, what's your biggest takeaway on on UConn Graham? And I think a lot of the conversation too has been around you know UConn versus the field here in the Final Four. Um, what's your take on that? On on where you would where you would land there, as well as just you know this this unreal performance that Dan Hurley and the Huskies have put on.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing that I I can't stop thinking about with UConn going on this run of just dismantling teams like every single game is that. All year round, the Hazelmetrics, Metrics, the Ken Palms of the world, have had this team ranked so high um, above their AP poll position, above their losses that they've had. Um, they went on a stretch of losing, I think, six games in a row. Mm-hmm. And um, and when you know Xavier gets to play them and we beat them twice, I mean, all I can think about is like, oh, this team isn't that good. But the computers have always said, you know, no, this team's one of the top ten teams in the country. Um, and they get a 4 seed, and everyone's immediately saying, like, oh, they shouldn't be a 4 seed. They're the 7th best team in Ken Palm and their BPI is this and that. Um, and I guess this is a testament, again, where, like, we've been talking about all night with, you know, where the game's headed and whatever. And, like, the old-timey, you know, old head, like, oh, but they can't beat the good teams. They, uh, or this player isn't that good or whatever. No, like this is definitely a statistics and algorithm met, um, era of college basketball. And the fact that this is one of the teams that every, um, analyst has real analyst, not a Charles Barkley analyst, a <laughs> real data crunching analyst has said, you know, this Yukon team is special. One of the best teams we've seen the past 10 years. And to just meet that expectation and dismantle every single team that they've played, No, I mean, I
0: think that got into me personally, at least as well. Um, You know, when we, when we were picking the bracket and going through ourselves and making the selections, I was like looking at this UConn team and, and all the numbers loved them and all the statistics. And you're looking at all these, you know, game trends on how fours and thirteens play and how fours and fives play, and they're so highly rated in these, you know, statistical margins that it was like. Gosh, are they a lock? And I ended up picking against them just because I was like, man, if Xavier, a team that, you know, I think is obviously very solid, but, um, you know, I think their, their run ended about appropriately where I would have expected it to. Um, you know, if they can sweep them twice or, you know, beat them twice and sweep them in the regular season, are they that good? Like, not to say that Xavier isn't a good team, but is UConn this next level of good? And, and obviously, you know, once again, the data has proven us wrong here, you know, against our own personal intuition. So. Well, that kind of leads us to our our final region here. Obviously, Miami—the big storyline—finishing the game on a thirty-seven to thirteen run against Texas. I mean, what? Absolutely unbelievable. I think when Texas was up, everyone was like, "All right, this is what we expected—the Big Twelve team to shine through and you know, really show some, uh, you know, some, uh, some real strength." And I think on top of that, too, you know, a lot of it—even when you look at like the conference side of things. Thinking, okay, Big Twelve, like one of the best, you know, one of the best conferences um, in the country this year versus a, you know, an ACC side, which is clearly, you know, proving us wrong, um, you know, being very solid. Um, but at the same time, I think it's it's kind of an interesting idea because it was, you know, seen as the ACC was kind of having this down year, um, but I mean, clearly proven otherwise. Um, Miami having an unbelievable you know, tournament run. They needed a 16-1 run in the final six minutes of the game to knock off the Drake Bulldogs in the first round, uh, and then they've just been on a tear ever since. 16 points over Indiana. A butt-kicking of Houston beating them by 14. That game wasn't even close. Um, and then, you know, handling Texas down the stretch after going on a big run. So a really interesting one there, ending ending Texas's run after Texas two nights prior. Ended Xavier's run, and that will kind of take us briefly into the Musketeer Minute. Um, Graham, I, I think you're probably best equipped to talk about this. I think you kind of have the best perspective on this. Um, what is the feeling you know is it a feeling of overall satisfaction accomplishment after you know the the season comes to an end in a in a kind of a tough way in a in a 12 point loss that you know for being honest really probably should have been 20 um but at the same time it is still i think a solid season for Xavier i guess what's the biggest takeaway from the program side of things
1: i think um the one big takeaway over the past calendar year um is really a good example of the identity that Xavier is as a whole, um, from you know the players, the coaches, to the fan base, to everyone involved. Um, to get dealt a really bad hand, you know, drop some games that you know you should have won on home and the road last year and get bounced in the Big East tournament early. You know, coaching changes, and then you go into the NIT, which is usually a tournament that, not a lot of power six teams care about um and to come out of it with you know a win with some four momentum going into the offseason the sense of accomplishment and being like hey like if we played like that all year like we could have been in a different spot and then to you know work all offseason have great games um 20 win season uh, you know 15 big east wins go to the big east final against a marquette team that has been unbelievable all year um and, you know, go up against a Texas team that's really, really good. Um, and then you put into perspective, you know, where we were uh, a year a year prior to now being in the Sweet 16, playing against a team um, that is a really, really talented team. You know, we're without uh, Zach Fremantle, who... And I, I hate, like, the hypothetical of, you know, well, if he was healthy, you know, it's a different game. Because at the end of the day, like... He wasn't healthy, and that was a team that played on the court, and that's the team that lost. And that's the way that you have to look at it. But in hindsight, uh, to think about where this team could have been is a really, uh, you know, like emotional uh, dagger because of how far that we've come um, from where we were a year ago. So while, you know, I'm not satisfied with the Sweet 16 finish because I think of. Oh, a couple shots. You know that Texas didn't hit, and the Miami game fell or didn't fall. If we were completely healthy, um, you know you can you know go the ifs and buts all night. But I think the main takeaway is like look at what this team was able to do. Look what could have happened. Um, as we go into an off season that's going to be um, character defining for the next couple years, um, with a lot of roster spots to fill. Um, already know hearing the rumblings of transfers and who's going pro, um, we already know that for certain that we won't have Adam and Sule, who were two drivers of our season all year in respective ways. You know, you think of Sule, boom, how many games he took over in the Big East, whether it was hitting clutch shots or being at the free throw line, being a 90 some percent free throw shooter all year. Then you look at Adam Kunkel, who was the bright spot in my opinion for this tournament. He hit the big shots against Kennesaw State. He hit, you know, five threes against Pitt in a game where there was not a lot of good things going for Xavier. He had four threes.
0: He, um, he had the quietest 21 points on Friday that, that I've ever seen. Like, I, I remember him hitting some shots, but when I was looking at the, you know, the box score after the game. I was like, oh my God, he went eight of 10, and he had five, or he had four, he went four or five from three. Like, or was he five of six? He was five of six from three. Um, just unbelievable and awesome to see that for you know him,
1: yeah, and I'm just glad that we got to be able to you know walk away from this you know have something positive um because you you as we enter a,
0: a new era for sure um because because as much as you know the narrative has been that these are Xavier players not Steeles guys, this was a team that was largely recruited by Travis Steele, mm-hmm. and so now to see. Now Miller kind of fully stepping into his first season of these are all guys that he's recruited, you know, these are transfer portal guys that he's looked at, um, definitely a, an entirely new era for Xavier coming up.
1: Yeah, and to enter, you know, these next two years for me and, you know, just for thereafter, for all Xavier fans, um, a lot of things are going to change. And I'm just glad that, you know, this group was able to walk away and say, you know, we went to the second weekend, we played a really good team, fell short. The way that some of these players can walk away or players can go on to new teams or new professional careers and be like, hey, we are part of something, we got to the Sweet 16, which only 16 out of 356 teams get to do every year. Um, and I, I, this is definitely not a hang your head. It was a hang your head for about a few hours, but once the smoke cleared, you know, was able to you know look back on what we were able to accomplish. Um, I think that a lot of things are headed in a positive direction for Xavier uh, yeah, going forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's the that's the big
0: takeaway is that amidst all this confusion um, and, and not you know I guess uncertainty about what the future may look like for for Xavier men's basketball, knowing that Sean Miller is at the at the helm of that and, and you know in control of that, it, it makes me feel a lot better as a as an outside Xavier fan. So, um, but yeah, that leaves us with Miami. Uh, Moving on to the Final Four, and real quickly, Graham, pick it. What do do you got? You got San Diego State and FAU, The early game on Saturday, headlined by the evening game Miami and UConn. Who's playing Monday night and who is cutting down the Nets Monday night in Houston on Monday, uh, April 3rd at 9 o'clock? Is that 9 o'clock, Tip? Is that late? Yeah.
1: That seems late. Well, it's been 9 o'clock, but it's still late.
0: God, that seems ridiculous. Anyways, continue. Sorry, I'll I'll let you get your picks in.
1: Um. First, you know, looking um, with San Diego State and FAU, um, my you know main thing that we've been talking about all night was, you know, San Diego State having this sweltering defense that's been really uh, making teams a lot of uncomfortable having to change the way that they've done things. And I think that's going to be um, exactly what happens for a large part of this game. And But and then we talk about FAU and how they've had their backs against the wall um, I've been kind of setting this up. I'm really proud of how I've worded this. Um, Great work. <laughs> yeah, the FAU's been had their backs against the wall, and I've been able to adapt. Coaching has been able to lift them, and they've hit clutch shots. And I think that's exactly how this game's gonna go. Can't wait for it to not happen, and San Diego State ends up cutting down the nets. But I think that San Diego State um, is gonna really give it to them, and they're gonna have some sweltering defense, and FAU's just gonna hang around just enough. Um, and because obviously, you know, San Diego State is really good and they've deserved this Final Four spot. Their offense has not been able to win them games. It's been, you know, their defense has turned into good possessions. And I think FAU's done a serviceable enough job on defense to, you know, keep them around. And once the back's against their wall, I think Destiny May is going to prevail and send them to the championship. Going in, go. Love yeah. That. To Miami and UConn. Um, this is going to be a really high flying game. Um, and I'm really excited for this game.
0: Yeah. Okay, is there going to be any defense, but I feel like this game might feel like an AAU game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> the main difference though, uh, what UConn's able to do with Andre Jackson, um, the Sinogo and Clingon is going to be the difference. Um, I think that even in the games that Miami has won, um, Against teams that ha- don't aren't really defined by their bigs, um, the interior defense has not been good at all. And I think if UConn can set the tone early and you have guys like uh Jordan, using
0: Adama Sinogo there.
1: Yeah, uh, guys like Jordan Hawkins are gonna be able to compete um, you know, with Nigel Peck and Isaiah Wong. Um, I think that's gonna be the difference. Um, Miami, you know, with their run, I I think they've been kinda just getting by on defense. And they've just had guys that take over the game, and I still think that they have really talented guys that could definitely stuff the stashie in their backcourt. But I think that the difference in this game is that they're going to meet someone in um, Jordan Hawkins who can kind of you know trade these baskets with. And I think the way that Serge Barry Rice and Marcus Carr were able to hit some big shots, if they didn't get go get going so late, I think Texas would be in the final four. Um, so I think I have UConn advancing and playing FAU, and I think uh, this is the year that UConn kind of returns to its former glory and cuts down the Nets in Houston.
0: Well, I, I love the picks. I can't believe you're still, still not backing your guys in Miami that you liked earlier. Yeah, it's just season. like
1: shooting myself in the foot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and you know what? Because just for the fun of it and because I literally have zero idea who's going to win these games, and I, I think you could make a case for – any national title matchup just for the fun of it. And for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to go opposite you in both games. Um, I'm going to take San Diego state and I'm going to take Miami, uh, to get to the national title on Monday. I think San Diego state's, uh, defense. I think I'm going to lean on it a little bit longer. Um, I think Brian Dutcher's got, while Dusty May is a phenomenal coach, I think Brian Dutcher has an unbelievable amount of experience. Um, and I think he's, man, ever since the the Fab Five situation, I think him and that whole staff has just been itching to get back to the Final Four. Um, so I like the Aztecs in the first game there. Miami on the other side, I just think this high-powered offense and, you know, led by Laranega, I think is going to be something that um, I don't know that can't seen yet. I know, obviously, just played Gonzaga, you know, in the past game. Um, but I, I just don't know if they've seen guard play like this yet this, uh, yet this season because that's kind of been the one knock on Gonzaga is they didn't really have the backcourt to match it up. Um, I think Miami's got uh, an elite backcourt, uh, and for the sake of it, uh, and just to dunk on you a little bit more, I'm going to take Miami. Um, and then I'm, I personally, a 5-5 matchup with the national title, which, first of all, would be awesome. Uh, second of all, um, again, still no idea who to pick here. Um, I, I haven't scored a point in the bracket challenge since the first weekend. Um, that's how out of it I am. Um, and for the sake of it, I'm gonna go with San Diego State. I, I'm riding with the Aztecs. I think you know. I think this defense is gonna continue to roll. Um, and I think you know they've been one of the best all-around teams uh, this year. And I think I'm gonna continue to ride with the, the mantra of defense wins championships. And I think in the end, in the end, the Aztecs are gonna get it done. Um, But, again, all that's just for fun, uh, and I can't wait for us to get one of each. Like maybe we'll get a a San Diego State-UConn or a a Miami-Florida Atlantic matchup um, and then opposite of whoever we pick to win the national title is going to win because that's just how this stuff goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, anyhow, thank you all for joining us. As always, we'll be back um, next Tuesday probably for you uh, to kind of wrap up the season. only a couple other notes really worth talking about, and we won't spend a ton of time on this. Just wanted to mention Micah Shrewsbury uh, moves to Notre Dame. That does open up that job at Penn State. Um, really kind of an interesting lateral move, and we can do more discussion on this when we do our coaching car- carousel episode postseason. Um, and then Rodney Terry did lock up that full-time position at Texas. Kind of weird that they waited that long, uh, waited till after the loss. But nevertheless, Rodney Terry will be the full-time coach at Texas. Um, and again, we'll get all, get into all that later on uh in the off season, but just wanted to keep you updated on all that. Um and yeah, thank you again, you know, to all of our listeners very much. Winding down. Uh, and I think we're all kind of a little bit ready for it, but again, can't wait for this weekend's games. Obviously Monday night national title and then we'll be back with you early next week, kind of recapping uh, you know, the weekend and uh hopefully some phenomenal Final Four and national title games. So thank you all again as always for tuning in to the Norwood Noise podcast with Evan Shibble and Graham Griffith. Um Monday, March 27th, Sweet 16 Elite Eight recap pod is a wrap. Thank you all again, and we will catch you all early next week after these final after this Final Four weekend uh, for a great recap on that. We appreciate you all. Cheers. Have a good night.